Waco Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. Today in our feature, Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talked about late planting. That's coming up later in the program. But first, your environmental headlines. Last year marked the fourth year in a row that the Atlantic hurricane season saw above average activity, and it doesn't look like this year will provide any relief. 2020 season is expected to generate 14 to 18 tropical storms, of which 7 to 9 will become hurricanes and 2 to 4 will develop into major hurricanes. The AccuWeather predicted storms last year included Hurricane Dorian, which devastated the Bahamas, and Tropical Storm Imelda, which caused widespread flooding in Houston. Overall, last year's season saw 18 storms that caused more than $11 billion in damage. There is little evidence that the climate crisis is impacting hurricane frequency, according to Yale Climate Connections. Since 1985, a relatively stable average of about 80 tropical cyclones have formed each year. What the climate crisis does do is make hurricanes more dangerous by raising ocean temperatures, which fuels storms that are wetter, more intense, and more likely to intensify rapidly. 2019 was the fourth year in a row in which Category 5 hurricanes developed in the Atlantic, and Category 4 and 5 hurricanes are expected to be almost twice as common in the North Atlantic in the next century as the climate warms, even as the overall number of storms decreases. This is a problem because, according to Yale Climate Connections, major hurricanes are the world's most expensive extreme weather event. While overall frequency and climate are not linked, one of the factors driving AccuWeather's predictions is that water temperatures in the Caribbean are already up to 80 degrees Fahrenheit, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Using the COVID-19 pandemic as an excuse, the EPA has issued what amounts to a license to pollute. Polluting industries claim that the disease has caused staff absences that make it difficult for them to comply with regulations, so the EPA has excused them from complying. Gina McCarthy, currently president of the Natural Resources Defense Council and EPA administrator under President Obama, said that the Trump administration, quote, is taking advantage of an unprecedented public health crisis to do favors for polluters that threaten public health, end quote. This latest measure is consistent with a pattern of rolling back environmental laws that the Trump administration views as unfriendly to polluting industries. According to the Associated Press, since Trump assumed office in 2017, the number of civil and criminal penalties against polluters has fallen sharply. Under cover of the COVID-19 outbreak, President Trump is quietly promoting the use of crops genetically engineered for pesticide tolerance in wildlife refuges. In a reversal of existing policy instituted during the Obama administration, the proposal will permit 
the planting of genetically engineered seeds in the 44,000 acres of farmland within the southeastern region of the National Wildlife Refuge System. The measure would increase the use of glyphosate and other pesticides that are linked to harmful effects on bees, butterflies, and other pollinators essential to humans' food supply, as well as on other species living in wildlife refuges. Planting of such seeds would threaten thousands of endangered species in the southeastern U.S. Hannah O'Connor, an attorney with the Center for Biological Diversity, said of the plan, quote, It's a no-brainer that this kind of pesticide-intensive agriculture shouldn't be allowed on public lands that are critical to wildlife conservation and preservation of the unique ecosystems in the southeastern U.S., unquote. The new coronavirus may have passed from animals to humans, but now there are concerns that it could pass from humans to endangered species of apes. 27 conservation experts from the Great Ape Health Consortium urged in a letter to the journal Nature that all great ape tourism be suspended and field research be reduced in an effort to protect already vulnerable species from contracting COVID-19. The COVID-19 pandemic is obviously a critical situation for humans, our health, and our economies. But Thomas Gillespie of Emory University told The Guardian, quote, it's also a potentially dire situation for great apes. There's a lot at stake for those in danger of extinction, end quote. Since no gorilla, orangutan, or chimpanzee has yet caught COVID-19, it is impossible to know exactly how it would impact our closest genetic relatives. But human respiratory illnesses as mild as a common cold have proved fatal to gorillas, the Associated Press reported. Some parks are already taking measures to protect the animals. Virunga National Park in the Congo, which is home to a third of the world's mountain gorillas, is closing to human visitors until June 1st to prevent transmission. Rwanda is also closing three parks home to gorillas and chimpanzees to tourists and researchers. In Malaysian Borneo, the Sepilak Rehabilitation Center is also closing to protect orangutans. Quote, this disease could be fatal for the already critically endangered orangutan. It is a risk that we cannot afford to take, end quote. Susan Sheward of Orangutan Appeal UK explained. The International Union for the Conservation of Nature issued guidelines in response to the coronavirus, urging interactions between humans and apes to be reduced to the minimum possible. It advised that the normal seven-meter distance between apes and humans be extended to 10 meters, approximately 33 feet. However, Kenyan conservationist Paula Kahumbu explained how, in the case of COVID-19, that might not be effective. It's clear that gorillas are very sensitive to human diseases, she told the Associated Press. Quote, if anyone has a cold or a flu, they are not allowed to go and see the gorillas. With coronavirus having such a long time of no symptoms in some cases, it means that we could actually put those gorillas at risk, end quote. On a related matter, there is a question of whether humans can pass the virus to dogs or cats. Despite a few entries on the Internet claiming the disease does transfer, there is no scientific evidence at this time of dogs or cats becoming infected. Chemist Kate Jenkins, who was the prominent whistleblower when on the staff of the EPA, has made public her criticism of how federal agencies are responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. She has written an email warning that coronavirus might be transmitted orally through food. She says there's no reason to believe that food is safe and can't transmit viruses, as the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the Food and Drug Administration are claiming. Jenkins cited a report in the American Journal of Gastroenterology 
that analyzed over 200 patients in China and found that in many cases, diarrhea was the first symptom or respiratory symptoms developed. The paper also suggested that the disease might be more severe with a higher death rate in people with digestive symptoms. Jenkins observed, quote, there is no way there can ever be proof except with animal studies, and they would be too late to prevent exposures now, end quote. Mark Pochopin, president of the American College of Gastroenterology, which published the report, told a news station that people who think they might have been exposed to the disease ought to be on the lookout for diarrhea. The Children's Act for Responsible Employment and Farm Safety, or CARE Act, introduced into the U.S. House of Representatives by Representative Elsa Royball Allard, Democrat of California, which strengthened much-needed protections for children working in agriculture. Farm workers are some of the least protected workers in the U.S., and some of them are children. Pediatricians acknowledge that children are more vulnerable to harmful chemicals than adults. Children exposed to pesticides in farm fields can experience developmental delays and face a higher risk of cancer, among other ill effects. According to federal law, children as young as 12 can be hired as farm workers, and there are few restrictions on how many hours they can work. The CARE Act would amend the Fair Labor Standards Act to raise the minimum farm worker age to 14 and prohibit children from working before 7 a.m. and after 7 p.m. It would also require workers handling pesticides to be at least 18 years of age, a measure included in the new federal worker protection standards that the Trump administration has blocked. The novel coronavirus that has caused a global pandemic is also having an enormous impact on the environment, according to new satellite data. As governments around the world have restricted people from moving, industry and air travel and vehicular traffic have ground to a halt, causing pollution levels to plummet, according to the New York Times. Quote, this is the first time I have seen such a dramatic drop-off over such a wide area for a specific event, end quote said Fei Lu, an air quality researcher at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. While President Trump does not enjoy watching the U.S. economy slow down and markets lose value, the coronavirus is helping his erroneous assertion that the U.S. has the cleanest air in the world. Areas that have been COVID-19 hotspots like China and Italy have already seen huge reductions in air pollution. Now the same trend is happening in major U.S. cities like Los Angeles, Seattle, New York, Chicago, and Atlanta, where rush hour congestion has vanished as trucks and cars are no longer choking the streets, according to the New York Times. Air pollution levels, as observed by satellite, are showing drastic improvements in many areas that have been undergoing restrictive quarantines due to COVID-19. It is also very clear that airline passenger numbers are way down, as many countries introduce travel bans and meetings, conferences, and work-related travel are canceled. Industrial activity is also reduced, but not necessarily to the extent that traffic has been. For example, power plants still need to run to produce electricity, and water treatment plants still need to continue to treat water. Satellite imagery taken over the U.S. in the past three weeks of March shows less nitrogen dioxide over the country than in the same period last year, according to data from the European Space Agency. The drop in pollution levels is mirrored around the world, wherever people are staying home to try to stop the spread of the novel coronavirus. In China, nitrogen dioxide levels dropped 35% and up to 60% in some cities. Similarly, reductions of up to 40% were seen in Milan, according to Newsweek. 
Marshall Burke, an assistant professor at Stanford's Department of Earth System Science, said the improved air quality might save between 50 and 75,000 people from premature death, according to CNN. Satellite imagery in Indiana shows, now that there is less auto traffic, that most pollution comes from coal-fired utilities. This pollution is currently seen to drift over Ohio and eastward. It also goes over lakes Erie and Ontario and beyond. Indiana exports much of its pollution to Canada. Clearly, cleaner air would result from switching off fossil fuels. Indiana could be powered entirely through wind and solar power. Add electric vehicles to that, and we would have much cleaner air than we see today. Despite the growing public outcry about everything plastic, from its threats to marine life to its contamination of drinking water, plus the increasing calls for bans on single-use plastic, the fossil fuel industry is stepping up plastic production. The cause is falling oil demand and prices, according to Greenpeace EU. Petrochemicals are quickly becoming the biggest driver of global oil consumption. The Center for International Environmental Law recently projected that annual global emissions of carbon dioxide from plastics will be the equivalent of constructing 400 medium-sized coal plants by the year 2050. Plastic production has grown about 200-fold since 1950, but only 9% of the plastic ever manufactured has been recycled. The rest has been incinerated or placed in dumps or has ended up in the ocean. With people turning away from plastic and toward green technology, the petrochemical industry is viewing plastic as a more stable source of revenue than fossil fuel. The growing demand for renewable energy led to record-setting growth in wind power capacity as technology has made harnessing wind power increasingly efficient, and more wind farms have been completed and have joined the electrical grid. The Global Wind Energy Council reported that in 2019, wind power capacity grew by 19% over 2018. The report credited growth in use of offshore wind, which made up one-tenth of the new wind farm installations for the first time. As for onshore wind power, the report noted that the U.S. and China are the world's biggest markets for wind power development. The two resource-intensive countries, while producing a disproportionate amount of greenhouse gases, also make up nearly two-thirds of the world's growth in wind power, according to The Guardian. India, Spain, and UK rounded out the top five. The Global Wind Energy Council had expected this year to set more records with a forecast of 20% growth in the year ahead, but it cautioned that it may not come to fruition due to the novel coronavirus global pandemic. The importance of maintaining physical distance across the world could slow the construction of energy projects as part of a slowdown in infrastructure development. Ben Backwell, CEO at Global Wind Energy Council, said wind energy was continuing to enjoy consistent growth as a result of having established itself as a cost-competitive energy source worldwide. Established market players such as China and the U.S. accounted for nearly 60% of new installations. Emerging markets in regions such as Southeast Asia, Latin America, and Africa are expected to play an increasingly important role in the years to come. Every year, the Environmental Working Group ranks the Dirty Dozen and Clean 15 produce in terms of toxic pesticide residues. The most pesticide-laden this year was a dried fruit, raisins, a popular children's snack. In the U.S., children under age 15 eat a total of some 200 million pounds of raisins each year. 
Although the grapes that raisins are dried from are on this year's Dirty Dozen list, researchers don't yet know why raisins contain higher traces of pesticides than grapes. The Dirty Dozen, from those with the most to least pesticide residues, were strawberries, spinach, kale, nectarines, apples, grapes, peaches, cherries, pears, tomatoes, celery, potatoes, and hot peppers. The Clean 15, those produce items with the least pesticide residues were, with the cleanest first, avocados, sweet corn, pineapple, onions, papaya, frozen sweet peas, eggplant, asparagus, cauliflower, cantaloupe, broccoli, mushrooms, cabbage, honeydew melon, and kiwi. Of concern is that even produce labeled organic could reveal traces of pesticides. California's campfire burned almost 154,000 acres, killed 85 people, and incinerated the town of Paradise. California's utility, Pacific Gas and Electric, or PG&E, has pleaded guilty to 84 counts of involuntary manslaughter and one count of accidentally starting a fire. The fire started when a PG&E tower over 100 years old malfunctioned. The company had failed to inspect it for almost 20 years. PG&E will have to pay a fine of $3.5 million maximum and $500,000 in legal costs, plus contribute a million dollars toward water for residents who used the Miocene Canal, which the fire destroyed. California Governor Gavin Newsom approved PG&E's plan to survive bankruptcy, which it entered early last year, as it faced billions in liability for the fire. The company also agreed to pay $13.5 billion to victims of the fire. The utility reform network's Mindy Spat observed, quote, if corporations are people as the Supreme Court has suggested, PG&E would be in jail right now. I think from the consumer end, it kind of feels like PG&E got away with murder, end quote. Robert Murray, CEO of Murray Energy Corporation, the fifth largest mining company in the U.S., once said that global warming was, quote, hysterical global goofiness, end quote. Recently, Murray Energy, which was once the nation's largest coal mining company, filed for bankruptcy. Murray Energy was the eighth coal company in a year to do so. According to CNN, Murray was, quote, the self-proclaimed king of the coal industry, end quote. President Trump's election had raised hope in Murray that the coal industry would undergo a revival. Murray has close ties to President Trump and was instrumental in Trump's efforts to roll back environmental regulations since taking office. In an attempt to bail out the failing industry, Trump even selected a former coal lobbyist as the administrator of the EPA. However, it's turning out that coal can't compete financially with natural gas and the plummeting cost of solar, wind, and other types of renewable energy. And now for our feature, we will hear Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talk about late planting. We are living in some trying times. A great majority of the country's population is practicing social distancing to stop the spread of COVID-19. For people working in services deemed essential, like farmers, life goes on. But as spring arrives, farmers could be stuck with nothing to do but plan if rainfall holds up the planting season. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's spring outlook forecasts the entire state of Indiana has a higher than 50% chance of above normal amounts of precipitation. Forecasters say this year's spring rainfall will most likely be above average, but not as severe or prolonged as 2019's record-setting season. The entire state is also projected to face at least a greater than 50% chance of some flooding, 
with some parts of the Wabash, White, and Patoka River basins in southwest Indiana facing moderate levels of flooding. This is Mary Erickson, Deputy Director of the National Weather Service. Last year, we experienced widespread historic flooding across much of the U.S., and nearly 165 million people were impacted by that flooding. And flooding continues to be a factor for many Americans this spring. This year, there are several regions that are forecast to experience major and moderate flooding, and we anticipate that a widespread area will be at risk for minor flooding. We've already seen flooding occur across the southeastern U.S. due to heavy rains through February and early March. With many states at risk for at least minor flooding across the central and southeastern U.S., any heavy rainfall events could trigger additional flood conditions, particularly in places where the soil is already highly saturated. Heavy rainfall has already claimed the lives of six people in the state this year, including a mother and her three children who drowned after their vehicle was swept away by flooding in Laurel, which is about 60 miles southeast of Indianapolis. The NOAA said highly saturated soil conditions from above normal precipitation over the fall and winter months can induce flooding with more heavy rainfall events. The U.S. Geological Survey said its stream gauges were observing significantly higher than normal conditions for this time of year. In many cases, these stream gauges have been in place for many years, so they can give us a sense of the significance of their current reading. For instance, in 2019, if we consider only those gauges with 20 years or more of record, we had 107 stream gauges set new record peaks. Since this past October, USGS has measured water levels exceeding flood stages at over 1,100 locations covering most of the eastern half of the United States. And so far this calendar year, we've already had 28 of our long-term stream gauges report period of record peaks. Stream gauges along parts of the Wabash River bordering Illinois, the White River, Patoka River, and Whitewater River have already shown above normal stream flows. The gauges with the highest readings are in south and southwestern Indiana near Bedford, Shoals, Petersburg, Winslow, and Princeton. The above normal precipitation projected for spring could greatly affect the state's agricultural industry, just like it did in 2019. The NOAA found that the 12-month period between July 2018 and June 2019 was the wettest ever recorded. During that period of time, heavy rainfall affected central and southern Indiana and Lake Michigan, causing flooding in waterways that flow through those regions. The water levels in Lake Michigan have continued to rise, necessitating an executive order from Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb that directs state agencies to do everything in their power to help Lakeshore residents track water levels and prepare for flooding. The heavy rainfall last year also limited the total corn acreage harvested for grain to 4.82 million acres, the lowest total since 1983. This is Bob Nelson, extension agronomist at Purdue University. Last spring, we, we had a lot of frequent rainfall that simply prevented farmers from doing the field work and the planting necessary to get the crop in last year. So it ended up being, at least for Indiana, one of the three or four latest planting seasons on record. Well, at least for the past 40 years. So that's never desirable because anytime that we have to plant a crop late, there's a number of different kinds of stresses that can occur that'll reduce yield and so it's, it's never a good situation to be in. The late planting season puts added stress on the supply chain that farmers depend on and on the farmers themselves. Nielsen said farmers were lucky they experienced a mild August which allowed the state's corn crops to flower and mature before a killing frost had a chance to destroy them. So it ended up you know, being again a really late planting season. Now as it turns out however, yield statewide ended up being remarkably good. 
considering how late the crop was put in the ground. So I, I think to, to a large degree, we could say we dodged the bullet on that late planting of, of last year and just came out much, much better than most people would have imagined. Nelson said long-term forecasts are not known for the reliability, but the amount of rain that has fallen around the state this year could lead to another late planting season. But it is true that at this point in time, as we're nearing the end of March, the soils are still pretty wet around the state, and there's not been a lot of opportunity for any say, spring tillage work or, or fertilizer application because it's been too wet. Here in Lafayette, it's, it's raining again today, and the next two days forecast is calling for pretty strong chances of rain. So we're approaching a time period where those kind of pre-plant operations like tillage and fertilizer application and in certain cases herbicide application are going to be delayed. And then domino effect that if you delay tillage and delay fertilizer and delay herbicide, well then that naturally delays planting. So we could be looking at a delayed start. But again, we all know that this weather can change on a dime, and before we know it, it could stop raining and the sun would come out and everything would dry quickly and we could get back to it. So it's just a little, I guess, a little difficult this time to predict reliably whether it's going to be a delayed start or not. According to Nelson, who has studied corn and agronomy for nearly four decades, all farmers can do is ensure they are ready to move once the soil is ready for planting. Nothing really concrete, but like I always tell farmers, you know, because the, our climate is obviously becoming more variable one year to another, and we're getting these extremes more often than we used to, I just tell them, hey, you know, it comes down to good common sense and sound agronomics. You know, let's make sure you got all the plans in place. Let's make sure the equipment is you know, ready to run. Everything's been fixed. Everything's been adjusted. It's it's you know ready to go, so that we don't have any self-imposed restrictions once the fields do become fit and it's sort of a lame piece of advice to give farmers in a way but but yet it, it's still pretty sound advice that you sure you sure don't want to hold up yourself because you've forgotten to do something when it's ready to go and other than that since we can't predict the weather very accurately there's not much you can plan with confidence ahead of time in order to do something you just have to be ready to react to whatever nature throws at you. For Echo Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. Support for Eco Report comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's locally grown co-op grocery since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for EcoReport, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org.
And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sens. David Lyman wrote the script and Linda Green and Patrick Callahan edited it. Patrick Callahan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callahan. And I'm Sarah Callahan. And this is EcoReport.